Good morning. Merry Christmas. Love being able to say that. We're, we had this debate in our house uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday on what's the dividing line on when you can start playing Christmas music. And I think for some of you it was like October 1st or something like that. And I think we came to the conclusion begrudgingly, at least I did, nobody else agreed, but it's when Santa arrives during the Thanksgiving parade at Macy's in New York City. You can officially start playing Christmas music, okay? So, uh, so you know, we're going to be talking over the next several weeks, it's Advent, and we're going to be talking about why Christmas, that's the theme. The passage that uh, is kind of the center and spark for the message this morning, this first Sunday in Advent, is in Mark chapter 1, verse 3, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, prepare the way for the Lord. Preparation has always been a part of Christmas. Preparation is, if you think Christmas, you think we got to get ready, or I'm not ready. Yet, I've got lots to do. Uh, Preparation has always been part of Christmas, but this year is a little different. This year is a little special. Um, And I found a little cartoon that explains why this year is just a little different. (laughs) Counting down to December 18th for the premiere of Star Wars. Uh, and, you know, if, if, if you're not with me, you're against me on that one. So, but uh, this year, you know, how many of you, when you were a kid, you marked down the days on the calendar, you X'd them out till Christmas? Anybody do that? Yeah, I remember doing that. My mom did that as a kid. And, man, I just wanted to get the marker out and do a couple of extra ones really fast uh, because there was so much excitement and anticipation around Christmas. Preparation has always been a part of Christmas, uh, a big part of the celebration is getting ready for Christmas Day. And many, many moons ago, there was a song written called The Twelve Days of Christmas. And it's all about all the different gifts that you get. Uh, And I bet somebody in here could sing all 12 verses. Uh, We won't try it, but we'll we'll just acknowledge that the 12 days of Christmas uh, was kind of the expectation back then. But now we've got... ABC Family's The 25 Days of Christmas, and we've got, you know, something for every night, movie-wise, to watch, to get ready. Big part of celebrating Christmas is the preparations. You've got the decorations, and aren't the decorations just beautiful in here? I just love the way that we've got the classic Advent candle, the contemporary lighting, the classic trees, and the Nancy Thompson's work on this mural over here is just awesome, too. Let's give them a hand again for just the great work. Decorations are a part of preparing for Christmas. Um, We were talking in my Sunday school class this morning about the least favorite things that we do to get ready for Christmas. I can't stand Christmas lights. You know, Christmas lights, they're just, we had a Christmas tree a couple years ago, pre-lit Christmas tree, and one of the strands, the bulbs went out. And instead of trying to find the bulb, I went out and bought a new tree because that's how much I hate Christmas lights. And it was probably a simple fix. But decorations, uh, the, the whole tradition around, uh, you know, putting up the tree and putting up the ornaments. Uh, we had a big, uh, a big party at our house last night, getting the house all ready uh, for Christmas decorations. It's part of the preparation. Shopping is a big part of it, getting ready for Christmas. Anybody get a good deal on Friday? One person got a good deal. Okay, Neil Luganbill's in the back row going, I kind of did, Joe. <laughs> Shopping is a big part of getting ready for Christmas. We've got Black Friday and we've got the lists. 
By the way, boys, you all owe me your Christmas list. Uh, we've got Christmas lists, and we've got things to do to get ready for the holiday. We've got, you know, the, the holiday parties. You know, we've, you know I, I was thinking the holiday parties for me started about two weeks before Thanksgiving, and I had four Thanksgiving dinners this year. I had two at work, um, and we had the church dinner, and then we had family Thanksgiving on Thursday. That was four, and that was just the beginning. And, and I know that a bunch of people here are doing the Biggest Loser Challenge with Todd Clements, and I am in, like, last place. But I want you all to know I've lost almost 10 pounds since October 1st. 10 pounds. And I found a pound and a half in the past few days. <laughs> I'm going to have to lose it one more time. But yeah, all of the parties, all of the meals, all of the snacks, all of the candy, the cooking, the preparation, it's all part of getting ready. It's all part of preparing for Christmas. Advent is all about preparing for Christmas. And the Church of Jesus Christ has been celebrating Advent since the 6th century. Since the 6th century, 1,500 years Our brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers have been celebrating the preparation and the anticipation uh, of Christmas. We're we're preparing for the coming of the the Messiah, the the child in the manger. As people who live post-Jesus, we're preparing for his second coming. And I love what the pastor said now. He's coming again, but he is here with us now. Amen? He is here with us. So why Christmas? Why do we do this this way? Uh, why, why, why do we have the traditions that we have? Why do we put those silly lights up? Uh, why do we make cookies? during? Why do we buy gifts? Why do we do Christmas the way that we do it? We're going to explore some of this over the next couple of weeks as the staff probes into this question. Why? Why is a three-letter word with a question mark but it is a big word. It is a big question. Why? Why takes us deeper when we ask why and we explore? It, it, it helps us understand that things aren't always as they appear to be when we start asking why. Things are not the way that they may seem on the surface. Asking why challenges our assumptions and You know, we do a lot of things because we've always done it that way. When we start asking why and we start peeling back the onion, we start developing uh, a deeper perspective. Why helps us deepen our understanding. Why helps us see things maybe a little differently than we've looked at them and it challenges the assumptions that we bring into this very familiar Christmas story. As a matter of fact, I, if you've heard you know, me teach in a small group or Sunday school class, there's this thing called editorial privilege that I think we bring into reading the Bible. And we know this Christmas story so well. I mean, we can recite it by heart. We bring all of these, we bring all these baked in assumptions. We know how the story starts. We know the crisis. We know how it ends. And sometimes we just gloss over it so quickly because we're so familiar with it that we miss the deeper meaning. We miss the thing that God wants to say to us uh, through this story in a, in a new and a fresh way. Asking why takes us deeper and helps us develop perspective. Asking why also can help give us purpose to move forward. When we know why, it motivates us because we know why. Why are we doing this? Gives us a sense of meaning, a sense 
of, of purpose. Why helps us develop a better understanding of who God is when we ask why. And you know what? I'll be really honest with you this morning. God's big enough for your questions. You know, I think sometimes we feel like we've got to come in and have it all figured out and know all the answers and understand it all. God is patient. God is loving. God can handle your questions. He can handle the big questions. He can handle uh, the skepticism uh, because he is God and, and he has the answers. Asking why for us, it helps us to understand who God is, what's God's will for my life, where's God leading me. And I think that asking why, it takes a childlike attitude. It, t- there, it takes a certain amount of courage to ask why. Sometimes kids, they just drive you nuts asking why. Mommy, why is the sun in the sky? Why does the moon come up? Why does the moon go away? Why are, you know, you know, well, you know why is the show on at this time? You can, they could ask why about anything. And, and you get some really tough questions that way. But kids, they don't have any fear in asking why. But I think as adults, as grown-ups, sometimes we get a little intimidated by asking why because we don't want to look stupid. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Asking why, developing a deeper understanding is vital to our spiritual formation. And so this week, as we begin this series, Why Christmas, we're going to be focusing on not a typical part of the story. We're going to be focusing on Zechariah, on Elizabeth, and on their son, John the Baptist. Um, We prepare for important events, right? We, We prepare for important events. We want to be ready so we prepare. We don't want to be disappointed, so we prepare. We want success and satisfaction, so we put a lot of energy into getting ready, preparing, because we want everything to be just right, right? We want the perfect memory. We want the perfect family selfie to put on our Facebook page. We want the perfect gift. We want everything to be right, and, and, and to get everything just right, we put a lot of energy into preparation, into preparing. Preparing builds excitement. Preparing builds anticipation. And, you know, anticipation generates a lot of energy. And for kids, I can remember being so excited when I was a kid for Christmas that I would lay under the Christmas tree in the weeks before Christmas, and I would just look at all the gifts that were for me. And I would try to figure out what was in them. And every once in a while, I'd peel back a piece of paper. You know, and my mom would say, get away from there. <laughs> get, get away from there. But anticipation was palpable when I was a kid for Christmas. When I was a child, we slept upstairs. And mom and dad would uh, do everything to prepare for Santa to come on Christmas Eve. And, you know, we were so excited. Uh, Christmas morning was the only morning you could get this child out of bed at 3.30 a.m. You know, there was just so much anticipation. I could not sleep. And before the Walmart bags of the season, my dad would take all of the different extras and, and trash and whatever, Christmas paper or whatever that was left over, and he put them at the bottom of the steps. Put it all at the bottom of the steps. And on Christmas morning, me and my brother Dan, we'd get up and we'd go down the stairs and crunch. We'd step on all that stuff. And mom and dad's bedroom was right over here. And you'd just hear my dad say, Go back to bed. We'd turn around and we'd go back up. We got wise, though. After a while, we kind of went down towards the side and skipped through the paper and stuff like that. But we were notorious for getting up early 
on Christmas morning because there was so much excitement and so much anticipation. I could taste it. Christmas morning was so, so exciting. So for kids, it creates all this like positive excitement and energy and anticipation and preparation for adults. I think sometimes for us as we get older, it creates this certain level of stress and angst. It's a different kind of anticipation because we're like, I got to get all my shopping done, Russ, and I've got to, I got to get all the baking done, and I've got to get all this stuff done. And so this preparation, it does create energy, but it's not necessarily a positive energy. We put all this effort in because we want everything to be totally worth the effort. And it's not just for Christmas. If you think about this, um, if you are in school, you do your homework and you study. Uh, well, I hope you do. Right, Andrew? <laughs> you study to do, to do well on the test, to pass the test, to do well. And when you don't study, you don't do well. When you're at work, you have these projects or these things that you have to work on at work with your coworkers. And, you know, work would be really great if it weren't for all the people, Right? But you have to collaborate with people and you got to get along. And when you prepare and everything is kind of set up the right way, the project is a success because you have prepared together. If you're an athlete, athletes prepare through practice and exercise and practice over and the drudgery of practicing over and over again. Ten more free throws, Spencer. Come on, just ten more. You know, I mean, practice. Practice is so boring. You know, whether you're in sports or you're a musician, just practicing over and over again. But we practice so that when it comes time to perform on the field or the stage, all that preparation pays off. Preparation is really important. And as we look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth this morning, they have a lot to teach us about getting ready for Christmas, getting ready for uh, the, the gift of Christmas, about preparing for the arrival of the gift of the Christ child. And so this morning, if you want to turn into your, your Bible to Luke chapter 1, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it is a long, long chapter. But I am going to run through the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and their son, John the Baptist, and just hit some highlights. Uh, and we're going to pull some learnings on how we can prepare for Christmas out of this story this morning. In Luke chapter 1, we find Zechariah and Elizabeth they're these good and faithful Jewish people. They're devoted to God. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it said both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Zechariah and Elizabeth, good people. The the bedrock kind of people you'd want to go to church with and have in your church pastor. They were just solid, awesome people. They were a pastor's family. He was a priest. And, uh, you know, they were faithful in their service through the years. They prayed for children, but they didn't have any. Um, so life was not perfect for them. They did not have everything that they wanted. They desperately wanted a child. Um, they lived in a nation that was uh, subjugated to Roman rule, so they did not live in a free society. Life was not necessarily easy for them. Uh, and, and so as we look at this picture of these people who, in the midst of potential pressure and persecution as religious leaders with Roman government rule over them and tax collectors and just all of the, the different ick 
that was in uh, the culture at that time, life wasn't perfect for them. But in the midst of it, they were faithful to God. They were obedient, and they were devoted to God's word. Zechariah, as I said, he was a priest, and he had a tour of duty. Uh, he had to go to the temple, and, and, and they, they kind of did it in uh, several weeks to months-long tours, thick National Guard duty almost. And it was his turn to travel from his town to go to, to the temple. And part of his job uh, as one of the priests, they, they kind of picked lots, and he had been the chosen one to go in to the inner sanctuary of the temple to burn incense, incense as part of the, the worship ritual. He was doing his priestly job. And he's in this room in the temple all by himself, and he's burning the incense, and an angel of the Lord appears. And this angel of the Lord startles him and says, don't be afraid, but I'm here to tell you that Elizabeth is going to have a child. Elizabeth is going to have a child, and he will go on in Luke 1.17, and he will go on before the Lord and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this angel tells Zechariah, you're going to have a kid. And he's this older man. He's like beyond, uh, his wife's beyond childbearing years. You're going to have a kid. And the sole purpose of this child is going to be to prepare for the way of the Lord. That word prepare has just popped out to me. Uh, as I've studied the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist. And I've done a lot of word study over the past couple of weeks getting ready for this morning. And the Greek word that appears in Luke 1.17, uh, it, I'm not going to try to pronounce it for you because I get tongue-tied, but the, the word kind of brings forward this imagery of a construction site that has all the potential, it's the right location, but it's got the wrong stuff on it, and it needs to be cleared away so that something new can be built up. So when we hear the word prepare, think about construction site. And I went out to the, the, uh, the internet, and I found these, pic- the old pi- these old pictures of our property here to the south, where the Family Life Center now stands. Um, on that property stood... Uh, a house. It was the church parsonage. Um, and Brother Max Case lived in there, and the Whitefords lived there for a while before they bought their own home. And that was the place where our pastoral family lived. Uh, but the church's needs grew, and we decided that we uh, needed to build a bigger space for fellowship and whatnot and ministry, and so we decided to build the Family Life Center. But before we could build the Family Life Center, the tractors had to come in, and they had to demolish that parsonage. How many of you remember that? Yeah, there's a lot of people here, but there's a lot of people who don't know this story, right? So the tractors came in, Kurt Penorwood and his crew came in, and in about uh, 15 minutes to a half hour, they had that whole house demolished to the ground. And then they collapsed it all in on itself and buried it with dirt, and it's still over there, but it's just underground now. But the, the land was prepared, and, and what was there actually became the foundation for the new building that was constructed on that site. So when we're talking about this this concept of preparation, keep this image in your mind of scraping away and tearing down what's there to build up something new and something vibrant that God can use in our lives. So Zechariah, he's like hearing all this from this angel and he's still in the temple and he's like, are you sure? (laughs) Because... 
you know how old my wife is? And the angel has none of it. The angel's like, you know, because you didn't believe me, you're not going to be able to talk until this child's born. And you're going to name him John. Um, and, you know, you'll see. <laughs> and so Zechariah, he walks out of the, the inner temple to all the people that are gathered there, and he can't speak. And they knew something happened. They knew that he had encountered God uh, because he was mute. And he was, you know, uh, it was just obvious that something incredible had happened. So he finishes his tour of duty. Everything dies down. All the excitement around what happened to him dies down. He goes home. Elizabeth gets pregnant. God answers their prayer. They've been praying for years for a child. And God answers their prayer. And so now they move into this phase of preparation, preparing for the baby. The baby's coming. And, you know, I, I just think back to when our boys uh, were on the way. And, you know, I've got to... I got to buy baby furniture. I got to baby, all this baby stuff. I got to buy baby clothes. And what's this whole thing about baby formula and baby diapers? And, and you know, and now you've got, you, you actually, you watch, you know, these families. It's awesome to watch people get ready for these babies on Facebook with their pictures. And uh, I love that. To me, it's just so awesome to see our, our families growing and to, to share a little bit of the excitement and to share a little bit of, of the, the path of preparation that it takes to, to bring a kid into the world. I know for me, I was thinking, boy, one of the ways I got to prepare is I got to get a better paying job. Because, you know, you're, suddenly you have responsibility and my fatherly instincts kicked in and I'm like, okay, <laughs> what are we going to do here to pay the bills and to, and to, to feed uh, the mouths? And so, you know, we were talking uh, this morning in, in, in my Sunday school class Great insight from the class. I love to study the word together with people. Um, and, and this came out in our class this morning. You know, Elizabeth, she's like, she's got this special child that she's carrying. She was uniquely equipped to be able to help Mary during this time in Mary's life because Mary had this similar, you know, revelation that she was going to bear the Messiah. And she was not married, she was betrothed to be married to Joseph. It was not good to be an unmarried expecting mother in that day and that time. You know, and I, I know we like to build Mary up a lot of the time, but I think Mary was probably feeling a ton of pressure, a ton of stress in her life. And if you read the scripture, the first thing she does after she finds out that she's with child, she leaves town. She leaves town and she goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house. And Elizabeth, I love this story. You know, just listen to this in, in, in Luke 1, 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, and put yourself in Mary's shoes to hear this. In a loud voice, she exclaimed to Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary stayed there for like three months. Elizabeth was the only person in the world who could minister to Mary's needs at that time in her life. Not many other people that could say that they had a revelation from an angel that they were going to have a baby. Elizabeth could empathize, and Mary needed that. Mary needed time. You know, I think, you know, I could, I could see her needing three months to just come to grips 
with God's will for her life. And sometimes it happens like that in our lives. You know, the Lord reveals something to us, and Mary was immediately obedient. You know, she expressed obedience immediately. But sometimes even after that expression of faith, we need time. We need space for God to continue to speak to us and for his truth to soak into our lives so that we can prepare for that next chapter of excitement and that new thing that God wants to do in our lives. So Elizabeth, you know, and poor Zachariah, he's just sitting here watching this. Can't say a thing. (laughs) You know? And I'm thinking, thinking, you know, there's probably a reason that angel made him mute. (laughs) There's nothing he could have said that would have mattered between those two women during that time. And, And he was a pastor. And, you know, I can see him wanting to try to fix and coach and do what he had. He just couldn't say anything. And again, all perfectly laid out. God was helping Mary. God was helping Elizabeth and Zachariah during this time uh, in this story. And, 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 and Mary stays with him three months. She leaves. Elizabeth winds up having this joy of their life. This child, John, Zachariah names him John. And suddenly he can speak. You know, the, 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 the muteness is, is released. And John is raised by uh, Elizabeth. And Zechariah, they're so proud of him. This is the child they prayed for. This is a miracle child to them. And John grows up, and I, th- I think that they were proud of him, and they loved him, but I'm pretty sure that John probably grew up into not what they were expecting. You know? Uh, you know, as I read the scriptures, I think John was the first hippie. John, John was not, I mean, here is this child of a priest, this very formal family, you know, part of the temple uh, structure and culture. Um, and here's John who has this great prophecy and this sole purpose in his life out in the desert, away from the temple, wearing camel skins, crazy hair, eating flowers and bugs. And, you know, he was crazy John. Like I could just see them thinking, oh my gosh, what's going on here? This is not what I expect. Parents, it's not what we expect our children to become. It's what God expects them to become. That's most important. And sometimes I think it's our job. We think it's our job to shape our children in our own image. It's not. It's to set the stage so God can shape our children into the people, the men and women that he wants them to be. Amen. So here's crazy John out in the wilderness. He is not only the first hippie. I think that he could have been, if the internet was alive back then, the first internet sensation. He was a rock star. He was a celebrity. And if you study his life, you see that everybody knew who John the Baptist was in Judea. Everybody knew who John the Baptist was. Everybody was coming out into the desert to listen to his teaching. Everybody was coming out to be baptized and to to hear his message of repentance and baptism. And, And it was fascinating because even Herod, who was the king, that time was aware of John the Baptist. He was uh, so scared of John's influence and John's power that he had with the people that John was arrested and put in prison. And Herod was scared to do anything with John for fear of what the people would do in reaction. John the Baptist was a rock star. He, he, He was so influential that even Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Even Jesus was baptized 
by John the Baptist. And I look at the life of John and I look at the life of Jesus and I think of their lives as so intertwined, like a piece of rope, strands in a piece of rope, or uh, the strands in a helix, like a DNA helix. Uh, John precedes Jesus in every way, from the way that they came into the world to the way that he prepared for Jesus' ministry. Even John in death foreshadowed the way Jesus would die at the hands of injustice of the government. What does all this have to do with preparing for Christmas? Well, I think there's several lessons in this story that we can pull out to help us today. November 29th, is that the date? Today, November 29th, 2015, prepare for Christmas this year. And I think the first way uh, that we can learn is if we look back at uh, verse 11 in Luke chapter 1, and we see that in order to prepare appropriately for Christmas, we need to be in the right place to hear from God. We need to be in the right place to hear from God. Zechariah was being obedient and living into his calling as a priest. He was in the temple doing what he was supposed to do. And when he was in the temple being obedient, doing what he was supposed to do, God was able to speak to him in a, in a unique way through the angel. You know, for us, with the holiday season upon us, it's imperative that we put ourselves in the right place, orient ourselves in the right way so that God can speak to us in the coming days between now and Christmas. Make space for God. Make time. Make some more time to get in the word. You know, what a perfect time with your family even to get together and get in the Christmas story together and to talk about it and what it means to each other personally. Make time personally to get in the word. Make time to, to spend more time in prayer. Make time to do this, to worship together with brothers and sisters. Because you know, when we make the time to get in the right place to hear God, he'll speak to us. It's all about orienting our lives so that we're able to hear him. God's not going to force us to listen. We have to want to hear him and we've got to position ourselves Almost kind of like a television antenna. Anybody remember the days back where you had to like do the rotary antenna to get it pointed in the right direction so that you could pick up the TV signal? We've got to do that in our lives so that we can get on God's wavelength and hear his voice. Make time for God in the word and prayer and worship. So we have to be in the right place to hear from God. Another way we can prepare is by serving the needs of other people. We prepare for the coming of Christmas, for the Christmas gift, by serving the needs of other people. Look at Elizabeth and how she met the needs of Mary. You know, what a, one of the most beautiful pictures in Scripture is these two women ministering to each other during this very interesting time uh, in their lives, focused not necessarily on themselves, but serving each other's needs, meeting the needs. Find a need to fill. Find a need to fill. Find a place to serve as an exercise of preparing for the coming Christmas holiday. So we prepare by being in the right place. We prepare by serving the needs of others. We also prepare through repentance. We prepare through repentance. John's message and his purpose was to bring this message of repentance. That repentance precedes salvation. 
Repentance is this, is this big word. John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance is big church word. It's like, what is that? Who says that? Go outside of the walls of the church. Nobody uses that word that I'm aware of. Repentance is a, it's church ease, it's church language. And when we, we look a little bit underneath the covers and explore what that word means, I found a, a really good definition of it in my, my study over the past couple of weeks. Repentance is the coming to of our senses about sin in our lives. It's coming to our senses about how destructive sin is in our life. It's coming to our senses about how offensive sin is to God. It's coming to our senses and changing the way we live. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a changed lifestyle. Amen? That's, don't have to use the big words. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of lifestyle. It is that light bulb coming on and realizing that I'm living this life of sin and I need to totally turn around and do a 180 and stop doing that stuff. You know, and, and we think of repentance some of the time as something that happens just for the newly saved person. Repentance is a lifestyle. It is the lifestyle of the Christ follower. We are constantly, through the power of the Holy Spirit, living a life of repentance, a changed mind that results in a changed lifestyle. We also prepare through surrender. So we prepare by being in the right place to hear from God. We prepare by serving the needs of others. We prepare for Christmas through repentance and we prepare through surrender. In John chapter three, John is out ministering and we read in this story about his testimony about Jesus. After this, Jesus, in John chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man that was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everybody is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. He must become greater. I must become less. Part of preparing for Christmas is living into this Equation of John chapter 3, verse 30. He must become greater. I must become less. I must surrender the, the essence of preparing. I found this out online. If you go look up John 3.30, I'm no good at math. This is probably the first algebra I've ever taught in my life. But he, the greater than, less than sign, he must be created, become greater. I must become less. You know, people are actually getting that tattooed on their body. 
as a testimony. He must become greater. I must become less. We need to surrender. John the Baptist was driven by this attitude of surrender, not by his celebrity. His agenda was submitted to God's agenda, not his own agenda. He made a conscious choice to allow God to have dominance in his life and for, to humble himself, to allow God to take first place. Even to the point where John was at the apex of his ministry, he was popular. He was a rock star. He had disciples. I mean, he had a huge following. He had people who lived with him and, and learned from his teaching. Uh, John was totally willing to let his disciples leave him to go follow Jesus because he understood who he was and he understood the purpose of his ministry. He must become greater. I must become less. What does this look like in our lives? I think that surrender looks a lot like release. And one of the things that spurred my interest in this whole story for Advent, for preparation, was the fact that sometimes we've got our arms so full of stuff that doesn't matter that we aren't able to take hold of the gift that God wants to give to us. We're so caught up during this season in preparations around decorations and parties and gifts and all the secular stuff that has been made of this holiday that we allow no margin or space in our lives for God to speak to us in a new and a fresh way. Our arms are so full. There's no way we can accept anything more because we're at capacity. Advent is this opportunity for us to maybe lay some of that stuff down on the altar, to allow the Lord to speak to us and convict us and to challenge our hearts and examine our lives and say, you know, I know you've been rationalizing this particular stuff in your life, but you need to let it go. And we tend to do that. We tend to rationalize. The enemy subtly creeps in and we allow things to infiltrate our lives that really we shouldn't allow in. We allow things to subtly creep in and taint our spiritual walk. I don't know about you, but are we willing as we walk into Advent season this year and learn the lessons of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist, are we willing to allow God have, for God to have permission to examine our hearts and our minds and point out to us maybe some of the things that we've been holding on to that have actually become idols? That we've allowed to take dominance in our lives and have flipped that equation. Is he greater? Are you less? Is he becoming greater? Are you becoming less? How does our life stack up to that? I'm not going to do an altar call this morning. I'm not going to ask you to a point of decision. Um, if you know me well enough, I have homework for you. And the people that are in my groups and classes know about this. I have homework for you. My ask of you is to walk out of this place with a willing spirit to allow God Almighty to examine your heart, your life, to probe 
and to examine whether or not John 3.30 is your life or whether there need to be some adjustments. Are there things that I need to lay on the altar? Are there things that I laid on the altar years ago that I've picked back up and I need to surrender again? See, because when I think that we live into this and we give God permission to speak to us this week as we begin to prepare, I think that's where God can start working in our lives. It's not necessarily right here and now. I want you to go out. Put yourself in a position where God can speak to you, just like Zechariah did. See what happens. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for Advent and all it means. We thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. Lord, as we reflect on this story of John the Baptist and his parents and their faithfulness to you. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, that you'd challenge our souls this week, that you'd open our eyes to things in our lives maybe that we've allowed to infiltrate our lifestyle and our homes that we need to surrender to you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to increase and your rule and reign in our lives as we become less and less. I pray, Father, that that verse would stick on our minds and be the measuring stick through which we view our lives in the coming days. May we be filled with your spirit in a new and a fresh way, Lord, as we give you permission to examine our hearts and examine our minds and our motives and the circumstances we find ourselves in today. Lord, we thank you for your blessing in our lives. We thank you for a a wonderful church family. We we thank you for for allowing us to be here today. May this be the beginning of something great and new and fresh and powerful as you move in us and work through us to build your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next week.